Before we begin our study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Well, I want to focus tonight on the grace and the love of God, and I want to start with a passage that's from the letter to the Ephesians, and Paul is writing them, and the part we're going to look at is an instruction. It's Paul's encouragement to the Ephesians who, um, who need to hear and to consider the incredible mercy and the love which God is showing people everywhere through Messiah. He wants them to grasp the connection that, that God is making through Israel to them. And so he wants the Ephesians to ponder the reality of the kindness that's been shown to them, but he wants them to connect that kindness to the faithfulness God shows to the Jewish people. And in so doing, he is, he is wanting both the Jews and the Ephesians to grasp something. And that is that they don't really merit the kindness of God. The kindnesses of God, the favor of God, the mercies of God come to them because God has more love and faithfulness than we, the people do. And so I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse four. But God being rich in mercy, and let's just capture that. God being rich in mercy. Have you ever prayed for riches? Have you ever prayed for money you didn't have enough? Well, Paul's not talking about money here. He's talking about some other kind of rich, richness. He's talking about the richness of mercy. And he's saying, God is rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us. So I want you to think about this. You are greatly loved. Now if you appreciate that, it's good to tell yourself, hey, I'm greatly loved. God really loves me. He cares about me, he pays attention to me. When you're going through hardship or difficulty or challenge of any kind, it's it's sometimes easier to focus on the difficulty than it is the mercy and the love that God has for us. (coughs) And I wanna encourage you to take to heart what Paul is saying. God is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when, and this part is so interesting and it goes against modern sensibilities. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. You know, we like to affirm ourselves, we like to encourage one another, we like to say, you're great, you know, you're wonderful. But Paul is using a whole different psychology. It's the psychology of spiritual reality. And he says this, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Now, if you're sitting next to someone, just look at them for a minute and realize they were dead. Now, as they're looking at you, guess what? 
We were dead in our transgressions. We were dead. We were dead. We were dead. We weren't really doing well. We weren't as alive as God wanted us to be. We were dead in our transgressions. Dead in our transgressions. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Messiah. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches or the incomparable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Messiah Yeshua. Paul is turning everyone's attention to what God has done for us, not what we have done for him. And he's reminding us, we don't deserve this mercy. We receive it because God has such love that's greater than what we deserve. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, it's not the result of work so that no one may boast. Now it's not, it's important to understand Paul has more to say about works and other apostles have more to say. But Paul is focusing on something here. He's saying, what comes first? Which is the chicken or which is the egg? What comes first? What comes first is the love of God, the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God. It's not that we do something that causes us to deserve the love of God. It's that God has done something that causes his love to spread towards us. And when we respond to it, we experience it. But it precedes our merit. It precedes even our obedience. When did God decide to show mercy to us? When we were dead in transgression. No one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for good works. Now this is a completion of his thought. You see, you were created in Messiah, you and I were created in Messiah for good works, but it's not our good works that causes God to accept us, it's his love and acceptance that causes us to be able to do the good works that he's created in advance for us. <coughs> these good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I love this. I think this gives a sound self-awareness to each of us. We were dead. Now you might look at people who seem to be spiritually pretty solid. But understand this. God knew them when they were dead. And he loved them when they were dead. It's important not to compare ourselves one to another and say, <coughs> oh, that one is so good, I'll never be good like that. 
No, that one was dead. That was the dead man. Dead man walking. He was dead, you were dead, I am dead. I have been dead. I've been raised from the dead. I've been raised from the dead. Now, how could that be possible? Well, Yeshua was raised from the dead in order to enable that to spread to those of us who put our trust in him. I love this. Now, I, I was drawn to this passage because of the Torah portion this week, which talks about all the blessings that come, including rain, as we've heard, uh, but all the other blessings that come to us when we are faithful and obedient to the Lord. But that passage is then followed by a series of passages that says, and if you're not like that, then this is what I'm gonna do. So that's passage one. Passage two is, and if you still don't change, and you get worse, then this is what I'm gonna do. And then that passage is followed by another passage which says, and if that doesn't cause you to shape up and you get even worse, then I'm gonna do this. And you would expect the next passage would be, and then if you keep at it, I'm finished with you. But that's not what the Lord says. This is so interesting. He says something very, very different. It's in, I, I want you to look at Leviticus 26, verse 44 and 45. This is from the Torah portion this week. So the Lord is saying, okay, Here's how I'm gonna deal with you if you go astray. And if that doesn't help, then I'm gonna be even harder. If that doesn't help, I'm gonna be even harder. It's like the Lord is saying, I'm gonna start with a small, the smallest amount of force necessary. But if that doesn't do it, it's gonna get more severe. But if that doesn't do it, it's gonna get more severe. And you actually could think his next line is, and then uh, I'm giving up on you. But that's not what he says. Leviticus 26, 44. Yet in spite of all that, I will not reject them when they are in the lands of their enemies. You see, that's one of the, one of the punishments, if you will, one of the acts of discipline. The Lord says, I'll send you to the lands of your enemies if you won't follow me. But he says, I won't reject them when they are in the lands of their enemies. Nor will I loathe them to the point of utterly destroying them and thus break my covenant with them because I am Adonai their God. Rather, for their sakes, say this with me, for their sakes. Now let's personalize it. For my sake, for our sake, the Lord says, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt with the nations watching so that I might be their God. I am Adonai. It is so interesting. 
the Lord says, you don't understand that I don't give up on people like this. Even when they've gone so far away that I've had to discipline them, even so I won't reject them. Now any of us who have um, difficult family members know how hard it is to have this attitude. It's easy to say, I'm finished with them. But the Lord says, no, I'm not finished. I'm not finished until I'm finished. I'm not finished until I've raised them up. I'm not finished until I found a way to reconcile them. I'm not finished until I've revived them. I'm not finished until I've restored them. I'm not finished, (coughs) he says, until I bring Israel back to me. Until all the nations of the world that thought it was gonna go another way, look and see God is faithful to the Jewish people even when we are not faithful to him. To be loved like that and to know that love is I think what was inspiring the Apostle Paul when he was writing to the Ephesians. He was saying, we know what it's like. We know what it's like to experience the patience and the mercy and the faithfulness of God because we didn't merit this faithfulness, this faithfulness from God. We didn't merit this patience from God. We didn't deserve the kindness and and the commitment and the, the favor that God has shown us. There are times when we should have been disqualified, but we weren't because God kept hold of us. Sorry for my coughing today. I haven't spoken in public for a month, yes. My voice is not in shape. (coughs) Now I wanna go back to Ephesians 2 because I want you to see the connection to the thought we just read that in front of the nations, God is gonna show his faithfulness. Go to Ephesians chapter two, but now verse 11. Because Paul wants the the Gentiles of Ephesus to grasp that it's through mercy that they've been saved. It's through the grace of God that they've been saved. They haven't done something that made themselves better. God has done something that makes them better. And he wants them to grasp something that not only are we all to be reconciled to God, we're to be reconciled to each other through Messiah. And this includes Jews being reconciled to Gentiles and Gentiles being reconciled to Jews. It's a two-way street. Both sides need each other. And so let's go to verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who's he writing to? The Ephesians who are called uncircumcision by the ones who are called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were 
at that time separate from Messiah. Oh, this is, this is more of the psychology of spiritual reality, right? It's not smoothing things over. He's saying, remember this. You were separate from Messiah. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You were hopeless. You had no hope, and you were without God in the world. Remember that. Remember that. But now, in Messiah Yeshua, you who were in the past far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. What qualifies us? What makes this possible? The blood of Messiah. The sacrifice, the death, burial, the resurrection of Messiah. The redemptive work of Messiah. For he himself is our shalom. He made both groups. Say that together with me. Both groups into one group. And he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, that part of the law contained in ordinances that kept the Jews and the Gentiles separated. So that in himself he might make the two into a whole new mankind. And thus establishing shalom. And he might reconcile them both, let's say that again, both, both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And then he quotes, and he came and he preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, We both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you, you who were hopeless, you who had no covenant, you who are far away, you had no future with God. Now you do. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You're not undocumented immigrants. You are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Messiah Yeshua himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. I love this sentiment. It's so bold, it's so strong, it's unprecedented. And it's born out of this, out of understanding that from days of old there was something hidden about the plans of God to join together Jews and Gentiles in Messiah into one body and to destroy the the enmity, the tension, the conflict between the two groups. That's his goal. That's one of his goals. That's one of his purposes. 
And so it's not just salvation of individuals. God has a plan to save the whole world, to redeem nations, to, to bring together the Jews and the nations in such a way that the hostilities come to an end. Now, in these days, we know that the hostilities are real. And in some ways, they grow. And they become so much stronger than before. But what do we do in the light, in the face of those hostilities? I want to encourage you, hold on to the eternal plan of God and the long-term purposes of God. Hold on to that and find your hope and find your courage and, and don't get lost in the headlines which do talk about troubling things. But don't get lost in that. Hold on to something else that the mercy of God is prevailing, that the covenant faithfulness of God will endure and will be fulfilled. And then what's left? It's for us to do our part. There are good works prepared for us to do. In advance, in a sense, we discover them, but they've been planned for a long time. Have you ever had that experience? where you're doing something and it seems like it's your idea and then you realize, nah, this is connected to God's ideas. The reason why it's succeeding is because God's hand was always working in this direction. Well, it's a beautiful theme, it's a beautiful passage. And Paul's writing to the Ephesians captures all the hope and the optimism that the message of Leviticus 26, 44 and 45 has. That God will finish his work, he will complete his work, he will do it, he will do it, and you can help. You and I can be a part of it. We can participate in it. And I can tell you this, God will succeed even if we're not all that successful. God will succeed. Because he has decided he's going to accomplish this no matter what it takes. And he sent his only son in order to ensure that it will be done. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that your love endures forever. And thank you that you've called us to this high calling to bear witness of all that you have done and all that you are doing and to be ready participants. Let our hearts be strong, Lord, to show the love that's been shown to us, that we would know your love and the source of your love, the work that Messiah has done in order to purchase redemption for us, and that through this we could love greatly. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Well, we're gonna close now with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? And if you're standing by yourself, just move a little bit. If you can't move, let someone move towards you. <laughs> the Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. And the Lord be gracious to you with all of his favor. 
The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.